Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doug Bryan here. So many times we will go see a mental health provider and we'll get a diagnosis. And that's a scary thing because all of a sudden it is real. We have a name for what we are dealing with. And I tell people a lot, going to therapy in and of itself is traumatic. But what we have to remember is we are not our diagnosis. What we may be dealing with does not define who we are. It simply is giving us the perspective on the way to appropriately treat it. So remember, who you are is more important than what you have. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Now, if you've listened to the last podcast, uh, we had some of our listeners call in and we discussed physician-assisted suicide. And one of those callers was Joseph Morgan, who who alluded to the fact that he had uh, at one time suicidal tendencies. And so I reached out to him. We have him here with us today and just want to try to understand a little bit uh, more behind your story. So Joseph, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, letting me come in today. So you had alluded to or or stated that you had had suicidal tendencies in the past. Can you kind of tell us what led up to that, those intrusive or invasive thoughts? I can. There is, uh, and, and it's actually got a, a beginning to the story now, which I didn't have before, because of one of these genetic testing companies where you can find out what your lineage is. I was able to find out that I was one of 15 brothers and sisters, all mm. of us hospital or firehouse babies. In other mm. words, we weren't raised by our, our, our mother, none of us. And my mother was an alcoholic and probably a drug addict. And when I was born, I had fetal alcohol syndrome. And as you are well aware, there's all kinds of just a whole host of problems with that, which brings me up to when I first realized that I was a little different, hmm. put it that way. And that's when I started realizing that I didn't didn't comprehend things the way other people did, that I didn't seem to be as happy as other people were. Difficulty in social situations. Hugely inflated ego for no good reason. I think we would probably call it narcissistic at this point. It's still there, but it's actually part of the pastoral gifts. So, that's all. <laughs> that's, I, I'll just pretend like you didn't say that part. But that's um, another broadcast. But anyway, yeah. the uh, the the whole thing came down to, I guess, really when puberty hit, really solid uh, when I was about sixteen. But I had already started, 
using drugs. I was smoking weed. I was uh, smoking cigarettes. Drinking came along later. It was harder to get a hold of. Yeah, I, I started having these huge depressive episodes. Again, I didn't have a name for it. By the time I was in high school, I was writing poetry that was concerning my teachers enough that they contacted my parents and suggested that I get some psychiatric care. And my parents, being the good upper-middle-class, blue-collar, Southern Baptist folks they were, said, no, only crazy people go to see psychiatrists. And our son's not crazy. By the way, I'm adopted, so this was not... uh, this wasn't blood family. This is adopted family. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But at that point, you didn't know that you were adopted. Is that right? Uh, not until I was 18. Okay. Because it was evidently a shameful thing that you didn't discuss. I don't get that now, but there was a lot of stuff they didn't talk about back then. Yeah, by the time I hit high school, thinking about suicide was almost a daily thing. I I never attempted it, but I looked for and examined all the different ways you could do it. I mean, I I found a couple of ones I really liked. Uh, Thelma and Louise, car off the side of the Grand Canyon, but you'd have to have a lot of dynamite and fireworks. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was stupid stuff like that. But nonetheless, this is, I, I just didn't care enough. I didn't want to be here. And I was... If I could find the right way, I was willing to pursue that. Mm -hmm. So you had the thought, but you didn't really have the means at that point. Well, the um, narcissistic thing plays in. I'm way too pretty and way too special to do anything to kill myself that will hurt. See, because I should never hurt Mm -hmm. because I hurt all the time, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, that kind of this is kind of sidetracked here. But what you just said is the same rationale that people use when they cut themselves is that they've hurt so emotionally that they want to feel that hurt physically. And so they will cut themselves to to feel that physical hurt. So to make the outside match the inside. Right. Right. Okay. so so in, in, in what you just said. You couldn't physically hurt because you were already too hurt on the inside, but you were too proud to hurt yourself. I don't even know that it's a matter of pride. It's, I mean, it's full blown, it's full blown ego. We've known each other a little bit. I think you've seen that. It is all about me. I don't have to screw in light bulbs, I just hold them up and the world revolves <laughs> around me. People think I'm joking when I say that. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But I recognize that now, that that is a genuine trait of mine, and I I know how to deal with it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The same way I deal with the pain, which is through humor. Mm -hmm. I always have. That was the one thing that kept me from getting beat up in high school a lot was, you know, you don't hit kids like that. You know, they're special. Mm -hmm. It's not good luck. You don't mess with him. Or I would embarrass you so badly that all your friends would laugh at you and you'd leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Or I'd get beat worse either way, but, you know. So when was the first time that you really had this idea, okay, this is how I can do it, but you made the thought process of, okay, I'm going to go ahead and 
put this into motion to try to see if I can have enough in me to actually follow through? Uh, I had gotten into the uh, pharmacological catalog by that time, and I was looking at various medications that could be used. It appeared uh, in a cocktail to where I would basically go to sleep and never wake up. That was the idea. Because in that sense, you w- there wouldn't be any physical pain. Right. For you. Exactly. Exactly. I'd just go to sleep and never wake up. That's the mentality. We do wake up. We just wake up someplace else. Mm-hmm. Of course, then the problem became, how do you get a hold of said medications? I could get anything I wanted illegally. I tell people I had a huge drug problem. I did and I didn't. I did have a huge drug problem in that any drug I came across, I would take. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Didn't care. I didn't have a drug problem because I was broke, so I couldn't afford drugs. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I could, I bought drugs. Which is kind of interesting because on average, men typically pick firearms or hanging themselves or or you know, jumping off a cliff to where women typically go with the more non, I, I don't want to use the word abrasive, but non-violent ways with, with pills or cutting the wrist or drowning, that sort of thing. And so it, it kind of makes sense within your ego that you wanted to do it in a non-traumatic way. What was your thought process there of, was there any type of uh, concern about the people who would find you in that situation? No. no. Okay. I cannot speak to everyone. Suicide for me is a very, was a, it, it's a very selfish act. I don't care about anyone else around me. I don't care what they're thinking. I don't care what they're doing. They've disappointed me just like everyone else has. I'm out. Don't care. I had kind of a, uh, I don't remember where the quote came from now, but it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll and leave a beautiful corpse. Mm-hmm. That was my life for a long time. Part of it still is. Not so much the the sex and drugs part, <laughs> but the, the rock and roll still is. And, and uh but the uh, the attitude has changed. It's not been an easy path. I lived untreated and unmedicated until three years ago, four years ago, something like that. Shortly after I moved here, I ran into this guy. And uh, I was having a horrible time of it. I'd moved back home into the house that I was raised in. Uh, and my mother was there and she had Alzheimer's dementia, which was why I'd moved back. And then my family had to move. That was in July. And then my family moved down in October. And then we were all down here. And then like a month later, she passed away. And here we were. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I am not a caregiver. Mm-hmm. I am not. I'm People like me don't care give. We have other people do for us. Right. See, I should have money. That's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things. uh, Let me know if you need anything, and I'll find somebody to do it for you. Mm. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I, I would be very good with the Downton Abbey hand wave. <laughs> Go now, fetch it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so uh, moving to a different location, of course, is going to stir up a lot of inconsistencies within within your life because most of us like to have this trajectory that we kind of are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Moving in with your mother is a whole new set of issues then, but adding her medical issues on top of that really, you know, exacerbates what is already there. And then being without your family for for two months thereabout and being in your childhood home really can stir up a lot of trauma response. And let me reemphasize, I was living with my mother. Mm -hmm. I love my mother. You touch her and your life ends. It's just that simple. I didn't like my mother at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of baggage, a lot of mother-son kind of stuff, but more just on a human personal level, just some serious disappointment. Not that I'm any kind of perfect. You you stand up for and stand by your children. You know. Sure. That's why parents visit their kids in prison. They're right. still your kids. But anyway, so I'm back with this woman I don't want to ever live with again and i'm living with her and i'm i'm picking her up out of the bathtub at 3 a.m because she went to take a shower in the middle of the night evidently and fell and can't get out of the tub Mm -hmm. and i'm not geared that way i don't do that now if you have a problem and i have a vehicle i'll be there you know i'm i'm the champion of the underdog but I'm not going to wipe your butt. I may pick you up out of of the bathtub, but I'm just saying I'm not that guy. Sure. You know, if you're you're bleeding out, don't call me. I know what to do, but I'm really not wanting to do it, you know. Right. But, yeah, all that. And uh, there was another person that had helped me. I wouldn't have been able to be down here at all without her assistance. And that became problematic. And then this guy, he asked me the question that they always ask, do you feel like you are a danger to yourself or others? And at that point, yeah. You know, I mean, I wasn't going to go out and hurt anybody, but um, yeah, given the means and opportunity, I was done. Mm -hmm. You know, I was done. I was back where I didn't want to be in a place I didn't want to be in with a person I didn't want to be around in a situation of circumstance that I was not geared to handle. And I was done. So assuming the person that asked you that, typically people, when they ask you that, they have some kind of civil liability that they must take action on. Did did that occur in this situation? Yeah. This person was a... Uh, or is a uh, a doctor, so yeah. I mean, he really didn't have any any uh, choice in the matter. After the way he'd heard me talking, he kind of had. I think they kind of by law have to tell somebody. Please don't get me wrong. It was probably one of the best. Yeah, it was. It was one of the best things anybody's ever done for me. Just not at the time. <laughs> I don't know. Within a day or two, the person had me committed, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. Or not committed, but just 
I was because I was on my own recognizance, but he he managed to get me where I needed to be to get help. It didn't take long once I got out of the environment of the of the rest of it. I guess I got better. Plus, I mean, we had the we had these group sessions, and what was very interesting was I was <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. I was grouped with the suicides, and. Uh, Every single one of us had the same story. We we take care of everybody else. Somebody else needs something, we take care of it. The, we're the champion of the underdog. We can't stand to see anybody hurt. We can't, you know, or mistreated or anything like that. Every single person in there, listening to them talking about self-care, I, I saw a lot of myself in there. I, I just... I drifted through days and times and just didn't. But somebody else needs something, I'm, I'm your guy. So did you find it therapeutic in a way that you were felt like you were there helping other people? I did. And I actually spoke with one of the counselors there, and I said, look, if I'm saying too much or if I'm sounding too much like a counselor, you know, give me the high sign or whatever, and I'll quit. And she was like, no, because you have the same sort of insights that we do with the training. Obviously, you've got that same sort of training or similar to it. And so, no, it adds to the thing. And, yeah, if if you decide to start taking my paycheck, we'll have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but they were, yeah, it was... And see, and I don't, now that you say that, I don't know if it was a good or a bad thing because I was there helping other people, Mm -hmm. which is frankly kind of what I'm called to do. It's, uh, it's what I do. In the moment of being suicidal, being committed, which is tragic or, or traumatic rather, there was some hope that you found because you were still being useful. I, mm, that's... I mean, I'm sure that, see, I hadn't thought of that. Now you're making me think. You didn't tell me I was going to have to do that today. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that played a part in it. I think the biggest thing, or one of the biggest things, was just being in a, I won't say sterile, but in a separated environment, Mm -hmm. rarefied air, if you will, someplace where I didn't have to worry about what else was going on on the outside? Someplace where I could kind of relax. Mm-hmm. And I was surrounded by two kinds of people. One that were three kinds. Ones that were far beyond anything I could ever do to help. Ones that were about on my level. So we're doing about the same thing. And then a whole bunch of them that were people that I could help. Mm-hmm. You know. So one thing that I see a lot on social media is people asking the question, if you had gone through, how many years would you have been gone? And I think the answer to that question was about three, four. What kind of impact would that have left on your family had you gone through with uh, death by suicide? It would have destroyed my son. It my wife is very much a suck it up and carry on kind of person. She would have done fine. She would, it would have devastated her 
mentally and emotionally, but she would have sucked it up and carried on. My son was special needs. Yeah, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have understood that at all. I mean, looking back on it, the uh, which is the, which is the reason why I'm sort of in the same place mentally and emotionally as I was back then, but suicide's not a content not a not an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. It's um, off the table. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Doesn't mean I'm happy. Doesn't mean that I'm not depressed. Doesn't mean I'm not angry. I should mention uh, we lost our son to COVID pneumonia back December of 2020. And it's just devastated us. I, I think the statistics say that within the first year, first two years, uh, most couples break up when mm-hmm. they lose a child. I don't think that's going to be an issue for for us at this point. We're we're trying to work together, trying to talk to each other, trying to yell at each other, trying to behave like married people. Mm-hmm. We're having to get reacquainted. We got married, and a year later we had Miles, so we never really got to know each other as husband and wife, and so we're. We're having having to do that now. It's it's a struggle. But again, and the, you can take this any way you want to. There's no way out. We're we're going to face it. We're going to fight it. Sink or swim. That's what we're going to do. There's not a doorway out that says you can leave this world and get out of the problem. Um, so so what would you say to someone who may be listening today? Uh, that is suicidal, and they they're under the perception that that is the only way out. Okay, listen to everything everybody everywhere else says about committing suicide, and throw away about three quarters of it because they don't know you. You know you best. You know you better than anybody else does. You know what makes you happy. You know what makes you sad. You know what makes you angry. You know what makes you want to kill yourself. So two things you can do. One, I don't care what anybody else says. If you have any way at all, run quickly and get help. Go to your closest hospital. It's not a, it's not a thing. Just go and tell them, I need help. That's what they're there to do. That's their job. They, they don't care who you are. They care that you don't kill yourself. Mm-hmm. That's their job. That's what they're there to do. And they're good at it. And... The other thing, you're going to hear a lot of garbage from people who have no idea what it is to be suicidal or probably not even to be depressed. They get sad, and then they go, oh, I'm depressed. No, you, you, don't, you don't want your life to end. You're not depressed. You don't have any concept of that. Don't listen to them. <laughs> it's important not to listen to them because we'll just feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, watch it. Watch a funny show on TV. Ooh, there's a new comedian on Netflix. Mm-hmm. No, don't listen to him. Seek help. Nobody's going to do it for you, and you're more important than everybody else. I'm sorry to say it that way, but even even Scripture says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," which tells you you should be loving yourself. And if you're not, 
seek help. Go get help. You know, I, I have dealt, uh, let me rephrase that. I've had the privilege to help many people who are at the end. And one reoccurring theme that I've always heard was, it's not that I wanted to die. It's that there was no other way. And so we get caught up in that there's no other way that this is going to fix, so I have to end it. The last act of a desperate individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm. It, it's It's been a real struggle. I've, I've talked to some folks having some of the same issues. I haven't, haven't had any of them follow through at this point, but I get it. I know how you get there. There's there's no other way out, and there's no way through it. And that's that's that. Um, it's a bleak, dark place. I always think of um, oh, and all the old Sherlock Holmes films. They were always out on the moors where there's fog and there's bog and there's nobody, and it's all squishy and dark. That's kind of it. You know, if you've ever had a dream and you're trying to run and it's like your legs are stuck in mud and you just can't hardly move, that's that's the day-to-day, hour-to-hour existence, looking for a way out. You, but you have to get to the point where that's not a, an option. That's not a, a consideration. It can't be because you're more important than that. No matter what anybody else has ever said to you, no matter how anybody else has ever treated you, and I speak from experience on this, it doesn't matter. You're worth more than they say you are. Always, always, because they're not worth as much as they think they are. That's the truth of it. So they got to make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. And you're worth more than you think you are. Maybe not you. (laughs) <laughs> but but persons in this situation. Yes, it just verifies what I already know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, again, like I say, that getting, getting someone to actually go, okay, you need help, and then helping make that happen, one of the best things that's ever, ever happened in my life because somebody actually took possession of this and said, I'm going to get you help where that had never, not even in the family, that had never, never happened. Only time I ever saw a psychiatrist was when it was court ordered. And that's a, <laughs> that's a whole, whole different story there. Yeah. Part, again, I suspect part of the fetal alcohol system, syndrome and things like just not being able to cope. My parents didn't know, you didn't talk about stuff like that to people. So I was just quietly going a little nuts all by myself and nobody Nobody knew mm-hmm. or cared to look. Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest thing is that we don't want to think that somebody is so low that they may attempt suicide because that makes us feel inadequate mm-hmm. and like we didn't do enough. And somehow we blame ourselves to the point of where we don't help because that would that would make us be accountable. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if that's not why there's a term for it. I think it's a suicide cloud or something like that, where one, usually kids, one of them will commit suicide and then another one, then another couple, and then you'll end up with five or six suicides from the same area, the same mm-hmm. group of kids. And now with the internet, 
we're seeing that from other places where one kid heralded it and then another kid over there and then another kid over there and then another one on a third place and things like that. We didn't have that connectivity back then. So, mm. Well, I appreciate you being with us here today and sharing your story. I know that's not always something that's easy to do, and uh, but I appreciate it. Well, somebody, somebody has to. Too many lives are being lost because we don't talk about mental health. And I mean, with my training and, and with what I do and everything, I should be so far beyond this sort of thing, and I'm not. It, it can affect anyone. <laughs> Get help. Absolutely. As someone who has lost a family member to suicide, the topic is very close and near to my heart. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in the United States. And in 2020, 45,979 Americans died by suicide with over 1.2 million attempts. And it's so sad because these people feel as if life could not get any better. And in some cases, they feel like it couldn't get any worse. And so they take a temporary problem and apply a permanent solution. Whatever the case may be, I want you to know that there is always hope. There is always a glimmer of hope somewhere. There's always someone who cares about you. And while it may be difficult to see in that very moment, there is help. There is help and there, there is life worth living and there is life past this situation. You just have to hang on. As Joseph said, get help. Go to the hospital. Call 911. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Anytime, day or night. Your life is valuable. You hold your destiny in your hands. And please, please don't cut it short. We need you. We want you. You're loved. Once again, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at my website, thedocbrian.com. Find all of my social media links there. As always, we want to hear from you. So if you want to, give us a call. Just send us a text, 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, life is worth living. We'll see you next time.